0: Be seated. We sang of love. We are looking at love. We've heard about love already through the commandments. Let's pray that God might bless our time looking at 1 Corinthians 13, that chapter on love. Heavenly Father, we pray thanking you that you reveal yourself to us in your word. You've called us to display the fruit of the Spirit in the lives you've called us to live, and you start with love. And we pray that as we focus on that virtue, that character, uh, that we would do so remembering the magnificent love that you have shown in Jesus Christ, that we might seek to be reflections of that love that you have shown, your Son, and your Spirit. May he be at work in us too, your spirit, so that we might receive your word uh, with joy and rejoice in the truth, which is one of those ways you tell us in your word that we can love. So May you accept our prayers for the sake of Jesus. Amen. We turn to a passage that maybe some of you, as you turn to it, may be use this passage as a wedding text. It wouldn't be surprising. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13, a very familiar text in Scripture, a very familiar passage for many who got married. Because when they, get, when they get asked, well, what do you want to have spoken about at your wedding? A lot of times people will use this. And in a lot of wedding forms you see this passage brought up as well. So it's not an unfamiliar passage to many. It's a very beautifully written portion of God's Word. Of course, all of God's Word is profitable and is wondrous, but uh, we we certainly take note of that, especially here in 1 Corinthians 13. So we're going to read that portion this morning as we carry on in our series on the fruit of the Spirit. God's Word speaks to us here. In 1 Corinthians 13, if I speak in the tongues of men, and even if we look back, just the verse just before that, the last portion where it says, and I will show you a still more excellent way, and then it gets into this. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. May God's word be of a blessing to us this morning, my friends. Brothers and sisters of our Lord Jesus Christ, some of the boys are here. I don't know, maybe some girls get these too. I don't know, but some of the boys that are here have maybe maybe own a pocket uh, a, a pocket knife, and you like that pocket knife if you happen to have one because it can do all kinds of things, right? You can cut wood with it. You can open a can. You could take a, a cork out of a bottle. You can use the toothpick. You can cut paper. It seems to have 101 uses, that little pocket knife. Well, you can do many things with Christian love, too. And that's one of the reasons, boys and girls, why the Apostle Paul says it's the greatest of gifts and why it's worth pursuing. He mentions so many things about love. We can love parents, our neighbors, our brothers, our sisters, our God. We can love Jesus for his saving work. We can love the young. We can love the old. We can love the rich. We can love the poor. We can love white people or black people or red people or yellow people, as we call them, or slaves or free people. And as we're looking this morning at love as one of the fruits of God's Spirit, I, I'm going to mention one thing that love is that starts with the letter P. You know, like pocket knife. And two things that love isn't. And those also start with the P. So I'll be interested to see. You can let me know, you don't have to, but to see if you can figure out what those three P's are. One that speaks about love, and two that speak about what love isn't. So. You might catch those things. I hope you'll catch those things through the message. Many motivations were firing up in Corinth uh, by the actions of people to whom Paul was writing, And, and many of these people would have been attenders or members in the Christian church there. And yet their motivations were betraying what really mattered to them, and that's partly why... Corinthians had to be written, First Corinthians had to be written, because these people, some of these people, they were more concerned about being noticed, uh, about being praised, about being powerful. And there was a great strong attraction and temptation to be what others were not, so that they could say, I'm somebody and you aren't. And they were zealously chasing these things, which really, as the Apostle Paul would lay out for us, really didn't matter at all. You know, whether you're in the church or you're outside of it, our motivations can be misplaced. People are motivated for a lot of reasons. By the commanding officers, by revenge, by justice, by their parents, by power, by prestige. Popularity is a big motivator. You know, it's not just boys and girls who run into that, you know, where uh, winning friends or being admired, having friends, big deal, winning an election, but popularity can really drive people. And yet this morning we're reminded of our chief motivation, the most excellent way. What's the greatest of these? especially within the Church of Jesus Christ. What Paul says here harmonizes with the first of the fruit of the Spirit that he mentions in Galatians 5. The greatest of these is love. Seek the better gifts. Love needs to be our Christian pursuit, our primary Christian pursuit, and our goal. In the light of God's grace, in the light of God's love for us Jesus Christ. Now that love is 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 not meant to be sappy, you know. Sometimes people say, Well, you know I want somebody I don't want you preaching on love because that gets to be too soft and too melt toast. Now love can be sappy, it's true. It can be it can lose its its fiber, it can lose its structure, it can It can be done out of sheer sentiment. Um, And and, and true love can't be exercised, of course, outside the root of Christian faith, which is why faith is such an abiding virtue, even as Paul says. You can't truly love unless you're a believer in Jesus Christ. That's why Christianity is so important. But love certainly displays Christian faith. And apart from it, says Paul, in Galatians, back in Galatians, we saw that, right? That a church is devoured. Churches get devoured. Because people are more concerned about winning than they are about loving. Churches self-destruct that way because of self-seeking hatred. The church is no church at all that way. And it can never be an example to the world when it's cannibalizing itself. And the world doesn't need another example. And it certainly doesn't need the church to show what it is to be hateful. It needs the church to show what it means to be loving. Indeed, our Lord tells us that the world will know that we're Christians by our love in in John 13, 34, and 35. We look at a very familiar scripture then to flesh out the calling of the Apostle of Christ to display the fruit of love. We're looking at its indispensability, its character, and its superiority. So we first of all look at its indispensability, and what, what I mean by that is you know, what's base, that it's basic to the Christian life. That life's empty without it. You gain nothing without it. You have nothing without it. Evidently, some in Corinth thought more about spectacle and prominence in the church than the call to love. They wanted to be front and center. And for them, there was this two-tiered system in the church, and and the church still has been plagued with that throughout its history. The haves and the have-nots. Those who are, in this case, the example would be those who are possessed by the Spirit and those who are not. And the goal of the Christian life for such people is... is to get out of being a have-not and become a have. Be baptized in the Spirit so that you have the gifts that everybody else can, can admire and say, wow, you know that's what I want to be. And people will hold you up high. And you're, you'll be something special amongst the commoner. So whether it was prophecy or tongues or healing or brains, you wanted to be a standout. You wanted to be spectacular. Because then you'd be somebody in the church. The apostle needed to deflate some egos and to deflate some heads that way. And he needed to do that for the glory of God and for the benefit of his people. He reveals According to the Spirit, who many thought only belonged to a few, that other spiritual gifts were more important than the high-flying gifts these people were trying to see and chasing. For all their pursuits, the high-flyers were missing something more important, the love for God and the love for his people. And Paul puts pursuits and spiritual gifts into perspectives. He said, you can have tongues, which were intelligible languages, by the way it wasn't just babbling that goes on they were glossia they were they were intelligent languages but you could have them but without love backing them he said they'd be like people who banged loud cymbals or somebody who drops pieces of brass on the ground imagine that in some of your shops and you're you're sitting there with all these pipes And all this stuff in your tool and die situations. And somebody's just grabbing brass and grabbing pipes and just throwing them out on the concrete. And they just keep doing that. Clang, 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 clang. That would get annoying after a while, wouldn't it? You'd get the impression that, I mean, there'd be a chaos. You couldn't work in that environment. I mean, it's one thing somebody drops something you just go, okay. But to keep dropping stuff continually? That'd be chaos. Well, you get the impression that worship services in Corinth were getting so chaotic because everybody wanted to predominate. Everybody thought that what mattered was whether you were front and center. And And so there's this persistence in these services of this persistent banging and clanging. Now, if the Spirit gives the spirit of gentleness and self-control, then which was hardly the case here, then chaos was ruling in Corinth because everybody wanted center stage. If you were really somebody, you were up front. And the motivation for tongues was not for the benefit of others, but so that everybody else could look at you and say to you, wow, you're really somebody. You're the star of the show. And Paul says that kind of primary pursuit isn't loving. It's annoying. It's self-seeking. And so he's saying, you know, Pursuing tongues. That's not your primary pursuit. Your primary pursuit, your primary goal is to to chase after love. That's what people ought to see in you. And the same way, with intellectual and cognitive powers. You want direct revelation. You want to be smart. You want faith that moves mountains. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. I'm nothing. See, why do you want it? Do you want it for power's sake, intellectual uh, intellect's sake, or, or are you going to use it to benefit other people, to serve the Lord? You can have the power to move mountains, but if you're performing your miracles for your own glory, again, to draw attention to yourself, that means... These things mean nothing. It doesn't matter. You can have all the intellectual understanding. But if you are unwilling to channel it into an attitude of Christian love, if you simply become proud of your power and your prowess, then it then it's useless. And, and Paul is in essence saying again, is, is Christian love your primary motivation? And the same with actions. Now you'd think, you know, it's true that love isn't just simply emotion and, and it's action. And, and we recognize this. And so when you think that these actions that he would mention, mentioned, you say, well, that's what love's supposed to be. Right? I mean, these are some pretty impressive things. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but haven't. But it says, but if I have not love, I have nothing. It's because actions in themselves can be done with the wrong motivations too, no matter how wonderful, no no matter how gallant, no matter how noble they might look like. Paul says they don't profit anything if the motivation behind the action is missing the fruit of the Spirit, Christian love. Love flowing from the Spirit, love flowing from the same sap That quickened you in Christ, that appreciates what Christ has done, that grafted you into Christ, that remembers what the the supreme sacrifice that Christ gave. It it may look like it benefits, but it doesn't. Now we always must analyze the reason why we're doing things, you know, the motivation. Not just the action. You know, we, we talk about that a little bit tonight again, too, when we're talking about becoming more people that do what we're supposed to do because we want to do it and not just because we have to do it. What's the motivation behind what we're doing? If love isn't behind the action, the action loses its profit. You see, love is indispensable. And we're not living then if we're not loving in Christ. So, so we see the indispensability here. We also hear a number of characteristics about love. And the first one we hear is that love is patient. Love is patient. Now we'll talk more about that, of course, when we talked about that in the list of the Spirit's fruit. But of course literally the word means to suffer law. It's not easily agitated. It doesn't assert its right at the drop rights at the drop of a hat, puts up its dukes and says I have this coming to me. And it doesn't turn mountains into molehills. Or excuse me, I got that wrong. <laughs> it doesn't turn molehills into mountains. Right? It doesn't turn molehills into mountains. It's not easily resentful. Leaving you with this hard and cold heart as you approach somebody. Is your love patient that way? Or do you let everything bug you? Are you easily annoyed? Love is kind, we hear. It's good-natured. It's interesting how often in Scripture, kindness follows patience. It does it in the fruit of the Spirit too, doesn't it? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. When... It's one of my favorite verses for myself uh, in my position. I hope I always. I'm, I'm striving for that, you know. But Second uh, Corinthians two twenty four it says, "And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind uh, to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil." See the kindness follows having been a person who's had to endure evil. You suffer long, but you seek to still be kind. 2 Corinthians 6.6 speaks about this too, when Paul's talking about his pastoral experiences. And he says, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness. Kindness follows patience. Because kindness is the response by the Christian to suffering. Not making others suffer in kind. See, It's a good sign in your life. It's a good sign in my life. It's a loving sign. If you find yourself being kind after you've had to suffer long at the hands of others, If you can look at that in your life, that after somebody has bugged you, after somebody has treated you poorly, that you come out of that and you find yourself still being kind. Because the kindness is an indicator that you haven't let evil get the best of you. You remain... Considerate and courteous and generous and, and you don't expect anything in return for it, even though you you may have been one who, who's gotten it from somebody else the evil I mean you're not going to overcome evil with evil but evil with good because you know that the good that Christ has done for you, and the love that Christ has given you is so much greater than the evil that's been done to you, even if it's made you cry, even if it's made you weep bitterly. Because what you want to do is you don't want to reflect that evil. You want to reflect Christ. Christ. Love is not envious. It does not envy. Envy is mentioned often and it comes back again and again to remind us to rejoice with those who rejoice. Don't be jealous of other people's stuff. Gifts. Station. If that becomes a way of life, you're just going to live a bitter life. And and a bitter life that way is, is to be looking at the Lord and saying, God, you just haven't treated me well at all. You're not just expressing a bitterness towards somebody else. You're, you're expressing a bitterness to God. Love doesn't brag. It doesn't boast. It doesn't. There's a word that's used often, sometimes. Uh, love doesn't vaunt. <laughs> we don't use that word too often. But it's not seeking applause. It's not seeking admiration through its own talk, as it as it talks about everything that a person's done. You're in a conversation, and you, you never find out anything about the other person because you're too busy talking about yourself. Or, more so, hoping that in talking about yourself, people will just say, oh, aren't you something? It's a temptation. Many people in Corinth evidently were chasing gifts for admiration. They wanted people's attention. They wanted others to think they were important. It, it wasn't enough for them to be known as the child of the Heavenly Father. They weren't content quietly to be that, which happened not because of themselves but because of grace. You know, we're supposed to encourage one another, and that's that's good. You know, then let another praise you and not yourself. But we're not supposed to be fishing for it, seeking others' admiration, because that's not love. It spoils the acts, it spoils the gifts we, we seek. Love is not puff up, puffed up or arrogant. Maybe boys and girls have heard about blowfish. You know, blowfish will uh, make themselves look big. You know, they'll just blow themselves up against their enemies, you know is do that so that they can look bigger than they are. And Paul has often had to tell the Corinthians that he was nothing. And he'd say he was who he was by grace, alone. And and they had to remember that too. God, God didn't choose the wise and the strong, he says, but the foolish and the weak, these people who would trust alone in Christ. You know, in God's providence, and sometimes by admonition, uh, we need to have our heads and our egos deflated, so that we don't think that the church relies on us, or that the world revolves around us. And we need that deflation, and we need that selflessness, rather than uh, or, or that 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 deflation, so that selflessness will resume in the place of selfishness and be the motivator of our lives. Love is not easily provoked. Love is not easily provoked, which means that love doesn't let the little things get the best of us. So that we cannot love as we're called to love. We don't let those things get in the way of the love to which we've been called. We put the goodness of the Lord in front of us, and let that be what prevails in the way that we respond to life. Love thinks no evil. Love thinks no evil. That is love. As we read this here, uh, it's uh, it's not arrogant. It's not rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not either irritable or resentful. Uh, it, it, love doesn't hold the evil of another against them, but is forgiving. God's love for us, while we were yet sinners, was that Christ died for us. If we must wait for perfection in order to love somebody, we've got a long time to wait. Love doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing but it rejoices with the truth. Evil is saddening. You know, we shouldn't be entertained by the evils of the movie screen. I'm not saying don't watch movies. I'm just saying don't be entertained by the evils that can happen. Nor in the demise of of people's situations. Uh, And at the same time, love loves to see the right right? We've got people who are making their professions of faith. We rejoice in that. We, We love when we see our children walking in the truth. We rejoice in seeing the right being done. We acknowledge it. We compliment it. If we see that in other people, we praise God for it. We tell them about it. We thank our God concerning you. Paul did that. Love bears all things. In other words, it bears in silence annoyances instead of disclosing them to the world. Love believes all things. Love trusts all things, sometimes we read. It believes. It's not suspicious. What a sad thing when we have no reason in the past to doubt our kids and then to side on the side of doubt with them. You know, the kind of suspicion that's being talked about here is a suspicion that will breed other ills. If you don't trust me, then why should I tell you anything? And communication breaks down. That kind of suspicion does nothing to bond couples or families of church members. Now when trust has been broken, it needs to be earned again. That's true. But until it's been broken, we're called to trust in love. Love hopes all things. Instead of hoping the worst in others, it hopes the best for others. It, it goes with believing others unless there's a reason not to trust them. Love endures. Despite persecutions and sufferings, love will not allow those circumstances to get the best of it so that love will not be exercised. That's, you see, these are the characteristics of love that Paul's bringing out here we also hear about the superiority the more excellent the, the excellent way already we catch that from Galatians when it's the first thing mentioned but we also catch it from the conclusion in the beginning of our passage the greatest of these virtues is love the greatest and why is that well for many reasons the other gifts have a temporary function prophecy, knowledge, wisdom, they'll cease. They're meant at the very most for this age and at the very least some of them for the apostolic age, the time of the apostles. And even with the gifts of faith and hope, as important as they are, because they abide, they're gifts of this age that will get fulfilled in the age to come. And therefore, you have this talk about gifts ceasing and the seeing in the glass darkly or, or acting like a child and then becoming a man. That's not to say that what we see, be it imperfect or immature, is no less true. You know, sometimes this is quoted as a way of saying that, well, we can't know the truth. We see in a glass darkly, and, and we just got to throw up our hands because we can't know anything. It's the piety of ignorance. All we can do is, is get a perspective of the truth, but we really don't know the truth. And, and the truth just eludes us. That's not the Christian way. That's, that's not the case. A, a child's perspective can be true. And yet it's immature. You can look in a mirror and it can be correct though not crystal clear back in those days our mirrors were especially like that god reveals truths to our level to enable us to have sufficiency in the truth but not necessarily the total fulfillment of the truth that's to come we will it says be known You know, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face, now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, but I know, (laughs) even as I've been fully known. But see, when it comes to love, this gift is perpetual. We, We love in this age, we love in the age to come. God is not faith, God is not hope, but He is love. And while faith and hope are also indispensable to the Christian life, that's why they abide, faith will nevertheless become sight, and so will hope. But love continues. And while faith and hope are are indispensable for our well-being, love goes beyond ourselves, doesn't it? Love extends beyond ourselves, our love for God, our love for other people. We cannot believe for others. We can't hope like we hope in the Christian way for others, but we can love others. And the opportunities, you see, are almost unending. Like those boys and girls' pocket night. Way beyond that. And when it comes to our love for the Lord... It is and it will be unending. This is why Romans would say let no debt remain outstanding but the continuing debt to love one another. Because you never run out of reason to love. Never. Not if you've known the love of God in your life. Such as never stop being the calling of God's people and it never wants to be for God's people. When they know the everlasting love of God for them. It's the summary of the law. It's the greatest commandment to the day we die into eternity. Love continues. And such love continues as, as your calling, if if you have appreciated the, the everlasting love of God in your life through Christ Jesus. And the Corinthians had to be reminded of that. And so do we. That's why we were given this portion of of Scripture. And as we receive it, we want to thank God where where we see it displayed in our lives. And we want to confess to the Lord and to each other of our lack of love at other times. And we seek the Lord's strength and spirit to pursue it eagerly. So it might be on display for everybody to see. From our hearts on the inside to our deeds on the outside. We've heard the indispensability of Christian love, the character, and, and the superiority of it. May, may, may such Christian love be continually evident in our lives, a priority, as, as fruit of the Spirit of Christ. So people might be able to see God's Spirit working in us and say, you know what? That person has known the love of Christ. And you know, if you've known the love of Christ, that's the greatest love that anybody could know. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, we ask that your mercies be upon us as we've received this portion of your word. We'd marvel at your love for us in Christ, and we would see the unending possibilities for us, Lord, to express love in our own lives. It may not be empty, what we do, may we not have the wrong motivations, but. Simply be motivated by the great love that you've shown to us, so that we might be reflections of this marvelous love that you have shown in giving of your son and your spirit. may he be at may they both be at work in us Lord may this may the Savior be applied to his righteousness to our lives may your spirit uh, or may may, your, may the accomplishments of Christ be, be our motivator, dear Father. May your spirit apply these things to our lives so that we would be the kind of reflections of the love of Christ in our lives. We pray that you'd hear us in Christ's name.